Welcome to episode 25 of Flying Podcast. Taking advantage of my visit to the home counties, just north of London, I visited London Gliding Club, which is uh, near Dunstable. Adrian Hobbs, a basic instructor at LGC, was my host for the day, and before sitting down for our podcast interview, he took me on a tour of the airfield. The club is in a, a beautiful position, with a chalk ridge running along one edge of the airfield. And uh, on a sunny day such as today, the ridge is lined with people watching the gliders taking off and landing. And what a better way to spend an afternoon. After our tour, Adrian asked if I'd like to go for a quick flight in a glider. And I don't really need asking twice whether I'd like to get airborne. So after strapping on a parachute and clambering into the front seat of a K-21, uh, we were hooked up to uh, a Piper Cub and towed up to just over 2,000 feet. If you'd like to see a short video of the flight, uh, you can have a look on the Flying Podcast website uh, under videos or uh, under episode 25, you'll find that video. Anyway, it was a superb experience. Adrian was a, an excellent instructor, patiently explaining the, uh, the differences uh, between powered and unpowered flight uh, and encouraging me to uh, try using the, uh, the rudder for once in a while. <laughs> uh, there were some strong thermals nearby the airfield, so we could stay aloft long enough to get a good feel for what gliding is all about. We even did, uh, even managed a few aerobatics, which was uh, an incredible experience. Anyway, if you haven't already tried gliding, I do recommend that you get along to a gliding club and give it a try. Uh, and if you live near Dunstable, Adrian, Adrian and his fellow gliding colleagues will make you feel very welcome, I'm sure. Uh, okay, let's listen to the interview that I did with Adrian. Okay, good afternoon, Adrian. Afternoon, Steve. Um, what uh, somebody wants to uh, or is thinking about learning to fly a glider, what, what should they know before they uh, actually turn up at a, at a gliding club? Well, uh, they're not going to know a lot about the actual flying if they haven't flown before. What they should be aware of is that that's the only way to, to learn to fly a glider is, to, is through a club, through one of the recognised BGA-recognised gliding clubs. Um, they, I can't say what else they should know. They don't have to have done any groundwork or preparation work beforehand. They'll be put straight into a glider and uh, be flying it from day one. From, you know, from the first few minutes they're in the glider, they'll be doing the flying. Okay, so if they wanted to find their local club, where would they look for Oh, that? that's a good point, yes. Um, go to the BGA, that's British Gliding Association, website, okay. and they do have the facility there to put in your, uh, your address, and they'll tell you where the nearest one is. Okay, I'll put a link to the BGA in the, in the show notes. Mm -hmm. uh, are there any limits as to you know, size, weight, height, age? The age is... Uh, it's, un it's not customary for people to fly under 13, 14 years old. You can do trial lessons under that age, but for training purposes, we usually don't start people training until they're 14. You can go solo in a glider at 16 years old. And we have pilots here, um, young cadets, who are ready to go solo at 15 because they started when they were 14, and then they just get impatient. Yep. waiting to go solo. So there's no sense in going... There's no sense, in, exactly. Right. And they learn so quickly that yep. uh, they only need a, a few months to get to the stage okay. with their normal competence. So that's the age limit. Um, at the upper end of the scale, there are certain insurance restrictions when you're over 80 as to what you can fly, club yep. fleet or your own fleet yep. and stuff like that. And instruct, you can't instruct over the age of 80, but, you know, that encompasses most of the population, I thought. Okay. Uh, do you need a medical 
before you fly? Or? No, you don't, no. So it's no. like... If you can drive a car, then you can fly a glider. Right. Yeah. You do need to have the, a certificate okay. to say that you are yep. at that level. But okay. um, you know, medicals come more into when you become an instructor. It's more relevant at that stage. Okay. So I mentioned height as well. If you're over six foot three, which is um, 193 centimetres, uh, then you, uh, it's difficult to fit you in the glider. Yeah. The canopy is quite, it's quite low down. It and is it's compact it? in there, isn't yeah, it, to say the it's least? quite compact, yeah, yeah. And the, at the other end of the scale, again, relevant to age to a certain extent, but as, as long as you can reach the pedals, people under a certain height, say five foot can't, will have trouble reaching the pedals. Um, and the other restriction is on weight, where you need to be 100 uh, kilograms or less. So Not ma maximum yeah, of 100. Yeah, exactly. So I just yeah. squeeze in under that limit. You there. just made it. <laughs> <laughs> we had to put on an extra bit of speed on the approach, didn't we? <laughs> Don't rub it in there. <laughs> okay. Uh, you did mention there that you can actually uh, come down and go for a trial lesson. Yeah, yeah. That's the one way of doing it. And people do that often if they, if they want to find out um, if, it, if it's for them. Mm -hmm. It's not a terribly good way of finding out if it's for them, because, partly because it's unrepresentatively expensive to do that. And most of those one-off trial lessons are bought as gifts. The best way, if you want to come and find out if gliding is for you, is to do a one-day course, spend, out, spend the extra money, do three or four flights with an instructor. By the end of the day, you'll be probably landing the glider yourself, yeah. and uh, you'll have a pretty good... You'll be coordinated. Yeah. You won't be landing it totally you know, unsupervised or on your own, obviously, under the eye of your instructor. But, uh, and that's not always the case either. I shouldn't... Say it, but it gives you an idea mm -hmm. of the level you can get to, yes. the standard you get to at the end of a one-day course. And then you'll have a very good idea if it's the sort of thing you want to take up. Okay. How many hours would you fly in a one-day course? Well, that would depend Depends. very much on the, on the day, but you're, you have three flights, and yeah. each, we say that each flight lasts between 15 and 20 minutes. Invariably, it, they will t go on for a little longer than that. We stick to that because people who haven't flown before can sometimes get a little queasy on a first flight. Yep. Usually by the second or third they're, they're settled. But, uh, so we don't guarantee that we may want to come in early. Mm -hmm. you know. uh, there may be reasons why we need to come in early. So we don't guarantee it. But often a flight, especially the second or third flight on a one-day course, will last a little longer than that. That's quite a long time in the air, in fact, yep. um, throughout a day. It, is, it may not seem a lot. But the pressure is quite high on somebody doing a one-day course the first yes. time. We don't molly, molly coddle, is that the right word? Molly yeah, coddle yeah, people very much, yeah. yeah. Um, we do put them in at the deep end to a certain extent. Yeah. And I know we were up for what, 40 minutes and it, it yeah. felt like a lot longer to be It honest. does, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's quite intense yeah. when you've never done something before and, it's, yeah. Yeah. and you're shouting at me and kept kicking me in the back. Well, <laughs> <laughs> sometimes that's necessary, rarely, but <laughs> Such a bad on this yeah. particular occasion. <laughs> uh, it's one of those things of, of you know, you've, you've flown power and uh, it's, it's getting used to having to use a rudder, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, and having yeah. to use a rudder correctly yes, as well. Yes. Was, uh, anyway, uh, yes, that's, there's our trial lessons and, and uh, one-day courses at the London Gliding Club. Other, other gliding clubs have different yep. 
different procedures. They all more or less do trial lessons. Some have one-day courses where you may have more flights, some have fewer flights. And then we have our holiday courses, although we call them gliding courses now, but they do take place during summer, spring, and into the early autumn, which is a week's course, two to one, two pupils to one instructor, as much flying as you can possibly get in during that time. And at the end of that week, if you're in good weather and everything's gone well and you're fairly competent, you'll be pretty, you'll be halfway to getting to solo standard, I would have thought, okay. on average. Okay, right. Depends on age and... Okay. Let's go back a little bit then and yeah. you've had your trial lesson or you, you've come for your day and you decide, yep, gliding is for me. Uh, what's the gliding syllabus? What's involved in you know, the, the early days of, of learning to fly? Right, well, <clears throat> the, you'll find immediately that you'll be expected to learn how to land the glider. That's one of the... I mean, obviously there's coordination. Getting yourself coordinated and getting good at being coordinated is a continuous thing throughout the whole time that you're learning to fly. Landing a glider is... It's something which even pilots of years of experience still... I'm not going to say struggle over. Mm -hmm. They're still proud of their good landings yep. and disappointed with their poor ones. Mm -hmm. You know, it is something that still continues. So we get people landing... Uh, very quickly, learning to land a glider um, is quite in, uh, one of the first things. Beyond that, you'll be also learning, obviously, launching, which we use a winch launch here for economic reasons and because a lot of the training is done at below 1,000 feet. Uh, so a lot of the circuit training and landing, you don't need the altitude to do those things. So, so much of it is about circuit planning and landing. We take a winch launch to 1,000 feet, you may be back on the ground within 10 minutes, but you will yep. have covered your, yes. This yes. Part, that part of the syllabus, circuit planning and landing. You learn, and also learning to fly the winch, to, to launch by winch. Um, you do go yeah. hell, hellish steeply, don't you, on the winch, I noticed. It, it looks very steep from outside. It's silly to say it's not a steep inside, obviously, because yep. it is, but it doesn't feel it when you're in the yep. glider. 45 degrees? Yes, that's about right, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the excel ground run is very rapid acceleration. Yeah. Uh, so your, your circuit in the early days is literally one lift, one toe, and then you're in like the, the downwind and then yeah. into land? For the, in the early, if that's the part of the syllabus, or the, it's not really a syllabus, if that's the part of the training which you need to concentrate on, yeah. um, absolutely, that's what you'll be doing. You talk to the instructor before uh, you fly with him, He'll look at your logbook and see what's, uh, what the last instructor said about what he thinks, the last instructor he or she thinks is necessary for you to concentrate on, and then you'll take it from there. And if circuit is the thing that you need to get right, yeah. you'll spend quite a bit of time on that. There also, of course, there are all the other things that you'll need to learn about flying, which are, the you know, as I mentioned, coordination quite a few times. But, you know, you'll, you'll stall, say, a stall recovery uh, you'll need to learn about. You'll need to learn about uh, how the stall speed will change at varying angles of bank. You need to know that you can the demonstrations of how you st can stall at any speed at all. You'll need to learn about the approach, overshooting and undershooting on approach, all those sort of things. Mm -hmm. Turning on a heading and uh, turn reversals, and all the sort of things, just to get you fully confident and, and get you actually flying the glider rather than the glider flying you. Yep. 
Uh, are you judged in terms of your progression on number of hours flown, or is it more down to launches? And no, in gliding flights? you're not. No, it's solely judged on your level of competence at the various things. Okay. Level of competence, but I should also add consistency as well. You have to be consistent at... There's no good just getting something right sure. once and yeah. then thinking... Yeah. You've got to show the instructors that you can consistently round up correctly at the right time. Mm -hmm or fly the winch at the right, the winch launch at the correct speed okay. over, you know, over several flights. Right. And roughly, you, you said in a week, you roughly get to halfway towards solo. Yeah. So two weeks. If, you, if you're on a, one of the intensive courses, that okay. is, yeah, yeah. And can you put a number of hours on that? Like in, you know, in fixed wing, you say, well, 15 <clears> hours <throat> average or so. No, what we, there is a, a sort of measure, which I heard, but I've never really done any research on it, and that is the number to do with the number of flights. Now, this is including winch launches, which might only be two or three minutes, four or five minutes, I should say. But if they you say, if you double your age and add 20, <laughs> 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 that's the sort of number of flights you're going to need you to never, get to say. You didn't mention advanced mathematics. In the <laughs> it's not that. <laughs> if I can do it, then uh, I'm sure most can. Okay. I can work that out. All right. So in your case, Steve, what made me think? You'll probably mm. take about 180. Oh, <laughs> ouch. <laughs> oh, no, I'm sorry. It's <laughs> oh, dear. Right. Uh, so in, in addition to the flying, are there any sort of you know, theoretical book learning exams to do? I have mentioned this aspect of, of sort of solo flying, um, you know, getting to solo stage a couple of times. And although it's seen as highly significant by the person who's gone solo, it's not such a significant thing as far as the instructing team are concerned. I mean, it's good for the person who does it. It's a wonderful thing, and it's a, it's a flight you'll never forget. You'll always remember your first solo. But you're not really a glider pilot until you've done your bronze paper okay. and your bronze flying test, and that will come after your solo flight. Right. And that does involve um, an exam, written exam, multiple choice, covering aspects of air law, navigation, meteorology, can't remember the others. But, okay, uh, but it's just yeah. one exam covers everything you need to know. Five, there are five papers. Okay, right. and you need a, I think you need an eighty percent pass mark on it, okay. or ninety percent or something like that. I can't remember. Okay, it's quite a high level. But yep. we, you know, we and I'm sure other clubs run evening courses to get mm -hmm. people through that. Okay, and then there's a flying test as well you need to do, and, that gets and you a certain number of hours you must have flown solo. I think it's twenty odd hours. No, it can't be. Tw no, it's twenty flights. I think. Okay. Solo flights. But uh, don't quote me on that. If you like, okay. I'll find out and come back to you, Steve. Well, but, you can have a look but, on your website and it'll have a lot of detail. Yeah, it will. Yes, okay. absolutely. That's a good point. Uh, and that's really, when you get to your bronze, that's the first time you can then cut the, bound, cut the cord with your, flight, with your gliding club and you're allowed to take a glider yep. out of gliding range. And that's called what, the bronze? That's called the bronze, and yeah. That that's sort of your... Your license, then, is it? We don't really it's have licenses. No, we, there are licenses available, but they're to do. They're mostly used by people who want to fly abroad, where licenses need to be shown. Okay, look. It's not really a license, right. but it's a recognition by the British Gliding Association okay. that you have achieved some, this particular standard. Okay, you're a glider pilot. And you're a glider pilot. You now okay. can take a glider out of range of the gliding club. Okay. Is there any waiver if I, like someone like myself with a PPL? If you come along, you can get no, away from that. No, no, nothing at, not all. at all. No, okay. Um, afraid not. Okay. So once you've got your bronze, is that it? Uh, are there any other ratings? Got, yes. Uh, once you've got your bronze, you will then the next step really is called your silver, 
Now, that's not a written... To get that, you don't need to pass exams. You, you need to show certain levels of competence, and they are judged by the, the three aspects of it. You have to make a height gain of 1,000 metres in one flight, so that's... You can release from the air toe at 1,000 feet, and you'll need to get to over four to do that. Some people release higher and then come back down again and then go back up, you know. The other aspect, you need to stay in the air for five hours in one, in one flight. And the third aspect, oh, distance, not mentioned distance. You need, to, you need to accomplish a flight from your gliding club and land at another airfield. And I believe that has to be 70 kilometres, sorry, 50 kilometres away. Okay, okay. Um, and then that's your silver. Silver, yeah. After that, you will then start entering competitions and flying in, in the in your club's local, you know, home competition or the regional competition, uh, you'll start getting more and more practice at cross-country flying, if that's what interests you. Build up your hours, get faster and faster on your cross-country flights, get used to landing out in farmers' fields or at other airfields and getting picked up. And then after a while, you may be asked if you want to become an instructor, and that's a route that a lot of people take. It's an opportunity to give back what you have taken out from the club. Yeah. At this stage, I should mention that gliding is a truly amateur sport in that the instruction is free. All the people who you've seen today working, the tug pilots, the people operating the tower, the people doing the buggy drive, everything is free. The office staff get paid, but everything, all the field activities are free. So the instructors don't get paid? They don't get paid, no. Amazing. They're not allowed to pay anyway. And I don't think it would be economic to to pay instructors. So you, you give back, in a way, what, what you've managed to get from, from them yeah. by instructing the next generation. It's interesting, you're talking to different people in different types of aviation, like from ballooning, microlighting, they all have subtle differences, but yeah. they've all managed to work in being paid as an instructor, <laughs> except for you guys. <laughs> I think you're right, and I think this, this is actually is one of the key points about gliding, which perhaps I should mention now. It is really a cooperative sport. It's very individual in the air. You are totally responsible for your flight and what goes on. And it's for, for the people who like that aspect of, of life, the, you know, making the decision mm -hmm. for themselves. Yep. The teamwork comes on the ground, getting the people into the air. Yep. And, uh, and that's and the social side, of course. But you need two or three people to get a glider into the air. You need a tow, tow plane or a winch driver. You need a tower controller. You need somebody yep. to run the wing. And somebody, when you come back, to help you get off the field as well. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of... Co and I like that about it. So when people turn up as members of the club, they don't just turn up for a flight booked at 11 o'clock and leave at 12. They'll be expected mm -hmm. to be here when the club opens in the morning, help get the gliders out, yeah. set up the launch point, do a little bit of work on the field by retrieving gliders or towing yes. the cables out and all this sort of thing, keeping the logs... And just participating, it's a great way to learn as well, because as you do this, you get to talk to more accomplished pilots than yeah. yourself, uh, and you also get to learn a bit of responsibility about how, to, how things are handled. One of the nice things also I find is the way people look after each other on a gliding field. You'll always find people alert to things that could go wrong, that some, they may see something that could possibly happen. Yes. And we'll stop it, you know. And it doesn't matter what level you are at. You're expected if you see something. Yeah. Well, so I was quite amazed at the uh, 
the amount of labour involved, you know, all the people yeah. doing different things, but it's all yeah. well coordinated here. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, you know, the, yeah. the toes and the uh, the winch going, the winch the going at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. That's you know, we've got somebody competent in the tower controlling that, keeping the log. Yeah, it's well, just a bit of a sideline here. I was mm -hmm. also surprised that you don't have runways as such. It's just like one big area that yeah. you can take off in any direction yeah. and land pretty much in any direction as you see fit. Yeah, that's right, as, as, as the wind dictates, really. There are some gliding clubs which have concrete runways, but we wouldn't put one here. We need to know that we can land in any direction, according yeah. to the circumstances, according to how the flight's gone. Of course, you've been here since, what, the, the 1930s? Not me personally, thanks, no. Steve. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I joined in, I joined in 1995. The club was established here, absolutely right, in 1932. And in those days, they didn't have runways as such either, did they? Just had no, air, there was no field. It was a field, exactly, yeah. Um, people, we have this ridge running down the side of the field facing the prevailing winds, which is why the club is here, so that people can sustain flight up and down the ridge. Yeah. But they used to launch uh, gliders off the top of it with bungee ropes down onto the field with somebody with a loud hailer shouting instructions. There are no two-seaters then. And <laughs> <So laughs> uh, they're incredibly intrepid sort of people in those days, in the 30s. No, it's a big open field. It's not a flat field, it's uh, undulating. It has its plus points and its negative points. Um, the plus points outweigh the negatives in that it, if you learn to fly here at the London Gliding Club, you'll be well set up for cross-country flying when mm -hmm. you do want to go and land in a farmer's field yeah. because you'll be... Um, accustomed to the idea of what a downdraft is or sure. uh, how to land in an upslope, you mm. know, a steep upslope. When we came in, there's a, there's a big dip before yeah. you get the, the, uh, the field. Hit? And the field, it, sorry, <laughs> kissed. Very <laughs> 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 uh, uh, sensitive, from, yeah. Hearing from my chiropractor. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and your field is by no means flat either, is it? No, it's, it's, it's up not, and down. That's right. Yes. I mean, they, they say that a glider pilot d running out of lift over our field, this will be the last place they would choose. A pilot is not used to this field yeah. from, another air, from another gliding club. But this would be the last place you would choose to land. Yeah. Yeah. They say the same thing about where I fly from at Barton. You know, from other schools, they, they probably won't yeah. even let them land there. It's short, <laughs> bumpy and... yeah. Grassy and muddy. But it's all good training, isn't it? Absolutely. Yeah. Once you can fly there, you can yeah. Yeah. fly anywhere. Um, going back to your, your further training, you've got your, your yeah. bronze and silver, I presume there's gold. and Those are more to do with achievements rather than, record, rather than levels you, you should achieve okay. at a certain point. Um, they're to do with cross-country flying, uh, the gold and the diamond. There is a gold height, actually. Uh, that's right, I'm sorry, I should have mentioned that. that a gold height is an achievement of... 4,000 metres. I'm going to have to come back on that, Steve, okay. before the end of this interview. I'd like to give you these precise figures, if I may. Okay, I'll put them in the show notes yeah. and I'll okay. give precise detail. I, until I haven't done my gold height. So it, uh, I think it's 4,000 metres. It could okay. be, be 3,000 metres, but I'll check that out. So once you've done your silver, that's really as good as you need to be in terms of Yes, and being an accomplished glider pilot. Yes, and the rest, is, just... the rest is, is getting better and better. Okay. Yeah, at it, getting faster at your right. cross country. But it didn't, doesn't give you any sort of additional permissions to do various things? No, no. Right. Okay. no. It's only until you get to, to becoming an instructor that then you're going to fall under the auspices of the 
British Gliding Association, okay. and they will be the ones who will guide your progress through instructing okay. via the club, obviously. Right. Uh, you mentioned earlier you do uh, are the residential courses here, like of a, of a week? Yes, that's right. Those are the ones where I was saying that if you do residential courses, I call them residential. You don't have to. We have got facilities for people to stay here. But in, I, I call them residential in the terms that they are five-day. Okay. Or you can split up the, that five-day into three or four days yep. if you want to. So you can pretty much come for as long as you want. Yes, doing one week. Intensive training. You can't say, I'll come on Tuesday this week and yeah. Thursday next week and the Friday the following week. Yeah. You, you, know, you need a consistency yes. in there, but we're fairly flexible on that for people who can't manage a full week but yeah. want to do five days. But typically you, would, you could stay for up to a week and... Yeah, yeah stay two up weeks. Week. You could do two weeks, yes. Yeah, I think you'd be pretty shattered by the end of that. Yeah, I'm shattered now, yeah. 40 minutes. <laughs> That's your age, Steve. Oh, sorry, <laughs> and it's the afternoon, you'll probably have... <laughs> oh, yeah, just that <laughs> time, that time, yeah. yeah. Okay, um... We did some loops, so are there any yeah. sort of aerobatic <laughs> qualifications you can... Yes, uh, aerobatics were slightly frowned on by most gliding clubs until a few years ago when one of our members, in fact, Ray Stoward, to whom we owe a, a huge debt of gratitude, for, got it formalised, got the... Inst the people would sneak off, and I mean, I've got one friend who said he used to like doing loops and he would go and hide behind a cloud and do <laughs> a loop out of, out of view of the chief flying instructor. Yeah. It's all, you know, highly dangerous to, to have it in that sort of way. And, and Ray managed to get us all unified, not just the British London Gliding Club, but the British Gliding Association recognised that it's better to have some formal training. If people are going to do it, they should be doing it yeah. safely and properly. I think there are badges you can get for it. I haven't followed those myself. Um, but you, the essential thing is that you do get clearance from... And in our case, Ray Stoward or one of his appointed deputies, before you do it, you need specific training in it, and and then you're you're not allowed to do it unless you have his say so. Okay. So in that way, it's it's bought it and made it all much safer and, and standardised the, the instruction, standardised the entry speed, standardised the you know the, yep. the manoeuvres that okay. can follow each other and things. Okay. What would you look for typically weather-wise? Today is a very good example of the sort of day that cross-country glider pilots really like. <clears throat> the air is essentially unstable. So you don't want a clear blue sky, you want some good... You don't want a clear blue cumulus. sky, you can fly in it, but you want, you want puffy white clouds, little yep. cumulus clouds, yep. And you want... Uh, what we did, we went down that cloud street. The air has... To, you have to have air going up and air going down. Mm -hmm. And if you've got that, then you can achieve quite long distances. Um, and the cloud street basically is a line of cumulus, and once you yes, it, and that's what we did. Yes, yeah, you can fly. Around. Yeah, when I did my bronze, when I did my bronze test here. An instructor who he's a really good instructor, but he loves also cross country flying. And my first attempt at my bronze flying test, I, I completely messed up, and we landed and we started again. And I'd only just come off Aerotow, and he pointed out a cloud street heading off towards Bicester. So he said, go and join that cloud street. And we flew all the way to Bicester and back um, at a huge rate. That Coming back, you know, we put on to 120, 130 knots for the, once we were in gliding range. And uh, it was fantastic. It was the first time I'd done anything like that. 
And we landed, and I said, well, what about my flight? She said, oh, you've done it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> that was good enough. That showed right. me everything. Yeah, no, you know, days like today, when, I mean, this isn't much help to anybody listening to this day, I say day like today, but essentially it's an unstable day. There's, um, there's air going up and air going down. And you, if you can stay in the air going up, you can achieve huge distances. Yes. Yeah. And most of the time you're, you're in thermal, so you're, you're circling yeah. Quite, yeah. quite tightly under, under yes, a cloud going up. Yes, that's right, yeah, yeah. We, we, I suppose the angle of bank would be about 45 degrees, no more than that. There's no point in going any steeper than that. You're not going to gain anything. Uh, 30 to 45 degree angle of bank, depending on um, other gliders in the thermal with you and things like that. What sort of... And on average, you expect to be going up several hundred feet a, a minute? Today, we, I mean, when I'm, I must hand this to you, Steve. You managed to get us going up at 600 feet a minute, didn't you? Yeah. I'd only managed three and a half, four. Well, what can I say? <laughs> you could say, oh, beginner's luck or something like that. <laughs> uh, and six up is, is, a, is a pretty good... I mean, it's deceptive because the variometer, vertical speed indicator, is going to be indicating six up at some point. You'll probably find the average is more like three, in fact, or, or four. If you can average six up, you're doing really well, mm -hmm. yeah. And I, you know, I've flown in this country with other pilots better than myself, far better, who will fly at, who can get up to eight ton of feet a minute. Yeah. You don't really need to see the variometer to know that you... You feel you, it, can't you? You're kicked in the pants yeah. and off you yeah. go. Yeah, yeah. The variometer's really more useful for telling you whether you're centred or, or helping you, I should say, get to the centre of the thermal. Yeah. Um, and sometimes it's a sound that you hear it's on the It's much variometer. better if it's a sound variometer. I mean, one of the most important things in, in your training is learning to keep a good lookout. You could become the most accomplished pilot ever in terms of coordination, landing, launching, and everything. But you won't go solo if you don't, keep, if, if you don't show that you, you're prepared to keep a good lookout at all yes. times. And it's really important because you can be in the same thermal with other glass, yeah, as you say, yeah. so you're oh, you very will be. close proximity yeah. at all times. Yeah, and you go and join a, you can go and join a, it's a, it's, you can join a thermal with two other gliders in it, be concentrating on them and not notice the one that's coming underneath you. Yeah. Um, it's, a, it's a state of mind lookout as well as an actual physical thing. Mm -hmm. you, you can find yourself concentrating on one particular aspect, one glider pilot flying along the hill, you're not quite sure what he's doing, so you're watching him to see which way is he going to turn next. You know, he's in a, he's in a, a sort of fairly junior glider, so you know he's a, a novice, and you, you're thinking so much about mm -hmm. what he's going to be doing, you just don't notice something coming the other way, yeah. you know, towards you. So it, is, it really is it's a state of mind you have to be in, yeah. the business of awareness, huge awareness of what's going on around you. Yeah. But on the plus side, you do have great visibility out of the, the modern glider, yes, don't modern you? Yes, modern gliders, certainly. canopy. Yeah, yeah. You sat absolutely. way out in front of the wing. yeah. But having said that, even so, you still, although you've got great visibility, you still need to pause when you're doing a lookout mm -hmm. because your eyes need to focus yeah. on, on the distance. But, yeah, things are much better from the visibility point of view than they used to be. Lookout is essential. Okay, you, you mentioned uh, cross-country. Uh, yeah. Presumably you're aiming for uh, an aerodrome somewhere away, or if, if you're lucky you can get all the way back here. But in a certain instance, you will need to stick it down in the field? Yeah. You wouldn't actually be uh, aiming to fly to another airfield. Um, and that's something that surprised me when I first got into gliding. I thought that would be the purpose of flying from here to another airfield and land. 
have a cup of tea and get along to come back. But it's, it's not. The, the, what cross-country pilots do is set themselves a, a task. They look at the weather for the day, make their own assessment of what they think is happening with the raw data they're getting, establish where they think the good lift is going to be in the country, work out how long it's going to take them to fly a triangle or a square or five-sided, was that pen, pentagram? Um, is that the right word? Pentagon. Pentagon, yeah. Work how long it's going to take them to fly that, all aided by a computer. And uh, there are various benchmarks that we have, a 300-kilometre, 500-kilometre, 750. Those are the recognised ones. People will say they did 400 or mm-hmm. 600, yeah. but those 300, 500 and 750 are the recognised ones that people will go for. Uh, so let's try and set a task to accomplish one of those tasks, one of those distances, with the aim of landing back at the gliding club. Uh, so the next thing after that is how quickly they can do it, in how good their reading of the sky has been in terms of what time they actually leave to, to set off on their task, yeah. whether they leave it to the end of the day, start it towards the end of the day when they yeah. think the thermal is going to be stronger or... If, if you're aiming to go faster, does that mean you need to take more risks leaving thermals? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. You're, a lot of the training in cross-country uh, flying is to do with the, uh, getting people to recognise that the thermal they're in is only giving them an average of, say, two and a half knots. Now, they'll feel secure in that. they say, at least I'm going up. Yeah, that's two and a half knots. Two and a half knots. Yes, exactly. Yeah. But the skill is to say this isn't the rate of climb I need if I'm going to accomplish my task. Right. I'm going to need to have an average of four knots up to do that. Okay. So let's say you fail in your mission to get back here. You do have to land. That's quite normal to stick it in the yes. field and someone what, come pick you up in a Yes, there'll trail. always be somebody uh, at, back at the club who will um, get your trailer out for you hook it onto your car or their car if you left the car keys and, uh, and drive out to where you are, de-rig the glider in the field and uh, tow back. Sometimes some pilots will land deliberately at an airfield um, because they know they can get an air tow back mm-hmm. and uh, that may be more necessary for them to get back quickly for some reason okay. or just ease of doing it, you know, having to de-rig the glider and stuff. So. Okay. Uh, looking around here, the gliders yeah. all look very similar in in that they are extremely aerodynamic, all look yeah. composite. Yes. I've noticed some single-seaters and twins. Yes. Some have motors. Yes, some that's right. Yeah. Uh, are there any others apart More. from what, are, what I've seen here? That uh, we, have a, uh, we have a dedicated aerobatic glider, single-seater aerobatic glider, which I haven't shown you. It has very large control surfaces and no washout on the wings. We have, I don't know if you saw, our K-13, which is the forerunner of the K-21, which is the one you flew in, wooden fabric glider, which we use for spin recovery training. It, we were able to get more readily to get that into a spin in the first place right. to, to learn how to get out of it more so than the K21s. Uh, and we have a, a high-performance cross-country two-seater glider, a duo discus, uh, for those people who, having got their bronze, uh, or even before that sometime, but show enthusiasm for cross-country flying, yeah. will get uh, flights in with, with, with instructors who do fly cross-country. So the, the vary in their um, competency for different things. So some are better for high speed. Some, some are better for gliders. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. There's lots of discussion between glider pilots as to which are the best gliders, and it's an area I don't I don't do a lot of cross, or I don't do any cross country flying now. Um, they're mostly German manufacture. Yes, for the most part. Yes. Yeah. 
that came from there when they were banned from powered flight one after the uh, that's the how it all started war. wasn't it yeah. yeah well it started with the wright brothers fly gliders before they put a, an engine in but you're right after that it was the germans took it up uh, i think we've covered how you get into the air uh, so here aero tow and cable under the winch launch yeah yeah so the mm -hmm. the aero tow is you've got piper cub here yes that's you've it got several, yeah we've got just the wire cub and we have some robins as well four robins okay. yeah and basically that's just a cable hooks on you get towed into the air. Yep. The guidance says you don't go above the, the plane that's towing you. you I was saying that, wasn't I? Yeah, you must tip him tail yeah, high. Yeah, that's, that's the tug pilot's nightmare is that you, the, he'll just release you as soon as... Uh, so he can release you? Yes. Or yeah. primarily the, the usual cases that you, you release, release the Yeah, releases. but if, if there's anything hazardous, then he will get rid of you. Okay. Yeah. Most of our tug pilots are glider pilots as well. Yep. and they know what the glider pilot is looking for. you notice how Rick asked me what I wanted to do yes. um, before where I wanted to go to. Yep. And how high. And how high and stuff like yep. that. Now, that's rare to find somebody like Rick who's going to be that dedicated. Mo but most pilot, most glider tug pilots will know by the person they're towing or by the circumstances of the flight. Yep. If they're launched amongst a grid, they know they're going to be looking for lift yep. at the earliest possible opportunity. So he'll fly to where he thinks the lift is the tug pilot will, yeah. and then you will release at the height that you think, as a pilot, you think is appropriate for you to be able to climb away. The, there are other circumstances where a tug pilot, you may want to do aerobatics, and you'll tell the air tug pilot you want 4,000 foot over in the 4,000 foot area where you can go, okay, or the spin training area. Uh, and the cable we've discussed, which is just straightforward, yeah. it's uh, basically a very high-powered winch that just pulls that's, a cable, you're tied onto yeah. the end, yeah. to a, <laughs> yeah. what, 900 feet, do we say here? It does vary. I mean, 900 isn't... I'd say today would be would not more than 900 because we did have a bit of a crosswind before. I got up to 1,500 on a winch launch here, but with a very strong headwind, very strong indeed. Um, that's rare. If you can get to 1,100, 1,200, then you're doing well. We think in terms of 1,000 feet. Yep. Some... some Aerodromes where you take off in gliders can go much higher. So I know as long a, bigger air. Yes, exactly. Bigger pilot we have, you know, ceilings of two thousand feet. Avoid yeah, here, avoid yeah, there. that's right. Uh, that's what's generally tend to be marked on the air maps as well. But yeah. the bigger the field, the further the winch is away from the launch point. The longer the cable, yeah. and therefore the higher you can get to. Okay. Yeah. Uh, you were mentioning the glide ratio of some of the uh, the more advanced gliders. Yeah. Incredible. I think we, we look 60. at like ten to one, but. 65 to 1, I think, wow. is the, the bind of ash. And even the one we were flying in was... Th 35, 38 to 1. So yeah. how do you get it back on the ground? Because <laughs> 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 it doesn't want to come down, does it? It's coming down. It's always coming down. You know, it's yeah. just you start coming... You start your planning of okay, your right. circuit at a, you know, um, you a bit earlier. You don't have flaps as such, do you? Yes, a lot of gliders yeah. are flapped, yeah. So they'll use that. But we all have air brakes, okay. and that will control our rate of descent. And we can talk about 65 to 1, you know, as, as the possibly the maximum that we've got in gliding at the moment. But, you know, you can get that down to, once you've got the air brakes open, you know, it's going to be nothing like that. Just come it? down pretty you fast, come, yeah, yeah, yeah. We learn to side slip down as well, if necessary. Um, I know that when you and I were flying, we didn't need any ballast, but... I've noticed when I have seen gliders coming in, it might not have been recently, but some time ago, that I've seen water coming out of them as they're coming yeah, to land. Yeah. Do you still do that? Yeah. The reason for the putting the water in in the first place is the water in the wings allows greater penetration 
with no detrimental effect on the performance. So you can get through the air quicker from thermal to thermal, okay. uh, but with having that extra ballast. As the day wears on and the strength of the thermals diminishes, because what the downside is that when you're actually climbing, you can't climb at such a fast rate because you're a heavier machine yeah. carrying all that water. As the thermals get, that doesn't matter when the thermals are nice and strong, five, six, seven knots. But if you, as they diminish during the day, you want to dump the water to able, enable you to, to climb at a faster rate. So it's, uh, they'll gradually get rid of the water. But there will be times when they don't get rid of all the water. They need to get rid of the water before they touch down. Yep. So they just dump it as they fly over the airfield. That's okay. why you would have seen that. Okay. Any other sort of specialist equipment you, you would have in your, in your glider? I mean, we were wearing parachutes. Yes. Didn't realize you had to wear. Yeah. That's standard Yeah, equipment. that's standard now. Yeah, there was a time when it wasn't on the sort of flight we were doing, but uh, I think very wisely one of our previous chief flying instructors ensured that every flight you wear a parachute. A very sensible move. And we have a very simple instrument panel in the plane we flew, but I presume you, you would, yeah. if you're going cross-country, you would have a transponder, possibly? Uh, we don't have transponders, no. There is a movement, not from the Gliding Association, but from the Civil Aviation Authority. I believe they're trying, they were trying to get gliders to have transponders, but it's a nonsense. I don't think it will ever happen. Okay. Uh, GPS, I guess. GPS, obviously. And, and Yeah, GPS and loggers. Right. You'll have probably two of each. What's a logger do? Like it, a it, it logs the logs the, the flight, logs your rate of climb, and using GPS technology. Using right? GPS, yeah, okay. yeah. So in competition, at, at the end of the day, at the end of your flight, you hand in your logger, so the scorers can then tell from that what you've actually done. And a competition is what to go to a certain point. Yes, or the, various points. The regional competitions and the nationals each last nine days. There's often not nine days of flying because the weather's not going to permit the nine consecutive days of good flying weather is not usually achievable in this country. But five, six of those days often are, are flyable days and on each of those days the pilots will form a grid, 50-odd gliders all stretched out here. Uh, the takeoff is quite an exciting thing. You have to get them all up in the air within a certain amount of time to, uh, so you don't have varying conditions too much and so that the day doesn't go too slowly. Once everybody's up in the air, usually it's split into two classes, but uh, you will then, you'll, you'll all have been set a task. You choose when you want to set off on that task. You have to launch at the time you're told to, but if you want to, then you can come back down and, land and launch a bit later if you think the day's going to be better later on. You'll set off at the time you want to set off, and you make that decision for yourself, and you fly the task. Uh, the gliders are rated on handicap on the basis of handicap according to their performance and the and you get around the task land back hand in your logger and you're scored for the day um, and after nine days those scores accumulated you know okay. you right. have a, a, a winner all right um and you can only speak for the uh, london gliding club but what sort of costs are involved learning to fly do you pay by the hour or by launch the the Apart from, I mentioned earlier, the trial lessons, the one-day courses, and the holiday, the, I could, should call them gliding courses that we do, those are all little rates which are, you can see on the website. They vary. From the, the gliding courses vary according to the time of year. The best way to do it is to become a member. Now, membership of the gliding club presently is £580, pounds, £585 pounds a year. Yep. And that entitles you to, to all the facilities of the 
club and access to the gliders. When you're doing training, you'll need to be, uh, you need to pay for your launch and you need to pay for your time in the air. The launch, if it's a winch launch, is uh, seven, seven pounds, so seven pounds and a few pence. And an aerotow will average at about 30 pounds, 29 pounds something for a flight to 2,000 feet. You'll then spend, I think it's about 62 pence a minute uh, for your time actually in the air with, with the instructor. In your club glider? In the club glider, okay. yes, that's right. You can reckon on spending, for a session, you'll do three winch launches or you could be doing one aerotow or one aerotow, one winch launch and you'll spend about 50 pounds for a session here. But what might give you a better idea of what getting to solo costs is the fact that we do a package here uh, where you pay £1,440 for, a, uh, for membership of the club for a year. And it includes also all the flying that's necessary to get you to solo standard, apart from possibly a couple of aerotos. If you need extra aerotos, that might be added on. Yep. But normally it's for all the flying that's needed to get you to solo so that would indicate to you that if the membership's about 600 quid and that's 14, that's about 800 pounds is, is really what yes. it's going to cost to get to okay. And to, to bronze? Solo. To bronze, then you're going to need another 20-odd flights and so, but by then you'll be paying that for yourself at those rates that I, okay. I mentioned before, except for the 62p a minute, you'll very quickly get put into a club single-seater and you'll be paying about 45p a minute instead. Cheap flying. It is cheap, isn't it? it is. Yeah. And there's a maximum also, the maximum you'll be charged for is two hours. So if you're up there for three or four hours, you'll still only be charged for two. Is, is there any reason to leave the club gliders behind and get your own yes. share? Yes, yeah. You'll get higher. When we have, a, we, I should have mentioned, we do have a high-performance single-seater glider as well, which is available for members to use if they're going cross-country. But pretty soon you'll find, apart from economic reasons of not having to pay for time in the air, the... I don't know what the word is, but the conviviality, I suppose, of having three people in a syndicate, two or three people in mm -hmm. a syndicate, all owning a glider. Yep. It, nobody's going to want to fly a glider every day of the week and every day of the weekend. Yep. So you split it up, and if there's two of you, you both help look after the glider, mm -hmm. share the costs of its annual inspection and any work that needs to be done and its instrumentation. Share those costs. Yep. And, uh, well, that's it, really. That's all just those costs. Yeah. Okay. I imagine uh, an annual on a glider is a lot less than a fixed-wing general aviation plane. I'm not sure, 200, 200 quid, something like that. Oh, yeah, sure. That's cheap. Yeah, Got no yeah. mechanics, really, have you put it from there? Yeah. No engine, no, right. etc. Yeah. Okay, well, I think we've probably touched on you know, the, uh, the conviviality and the friendship of the place and how yeah. well run it is. Any other reason why we should pick London Gliding Club? I mentioned also so the the reason is, it's, I'm not going to say it's an easy site to, la to, to learn to fly at. It's, it's a challenging site, uh, but very rewarding mm -hmm. and very beneficial to land here, to, to, to learn here, I mean, and to land here. Um, you might as well learn to fly at somewhere that's challenging, mightn't you? Yeah, I think so. The standard of instruction is incredibly high here. We also, because we're on, um, we have our ridge, which we're very proud of, our hill running down the side. Are we in the Chilterns here? Yes. Yeah, this is the edge of the Chilterns. Yes, it's chalk. It's chalk, which means it's quickly drying. So when it does heavy rains, it will dry out quite quickly. So we do we had to have certain areas of the field which get waterlogged. For the most part, we're not prevented from flying. I've never known us being prevented from flying because mm -hmm. we've been waterlogged. Okay. The fact that it dries out quickly as well in means that we're, this, this area is more likely to provide thermals a little earlier than other places which are still too wet and damp. 
being in the centre of the country also is a good reason. We get slightly stronger with thermals. We're not far yeah. from Dunstable here, given a bit of... It's only two miles down not the road. Yeah, yeah. And we, and we are not far from the flight path of... Uh, we're actually in Luton airspace, yeah. yeah. So that doesn't cause you any problems. You can fly away from that quite easily. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. We have, we have strict rules about where you can fly, and that will vary according to what Luton, which runway Luton are operating on. But all that is part of our training, mm -hmm. is, is, to, is to find out. To Which is it's good to have, isn't it, talking yeah. to ATC, etc. Exactly, yeah. 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 We don't act, no, to be fair, we don't actually talk to, to them ourselves in the air, unless we need to for some reason, unless there's some reason to have to. But just a general idea of what airspace is about is, is, is not a bad thing to do. It doesn't restrict us too much. We can go to 3,000 feet above site. Um, if we want to do aerobatics, it's only a couple of miles or five miles out yep. before we get to four and then on to 5,000. So do you take radios with you? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. The Every glider needs to have a radio if it's flying from here. We, 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 do need to con we may need to contact radios. If Luton's suddenly changed their runway, we may, we may need to let the, our local pilots know what's happened. Okay. Gliding itself, I mean, one of the questions you have, I know you're going to ask, is why glide why do we do oh, it yes. and I think this is the key to it is, is it is you know I've mentioned the the, 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 the conviviality and the, the, the nice feeling about the place and the, the fact that you get people from all backgrounds coming here and the fact that you can see somebody of 20 years old instructing somebody of 40 or 50 mm -hmm. uh, in outing the world of commerce you're usually getting the older person is more senior yep. here that doesn't apply at all okay but the main thing, I think, Steve, is, is just a huge sense of achievement you get as you progress through gliding. It really is something. I mean, the most memorable flights have been like my first solo and the first time I cut the bounds with the club and went and landed somewhere else. But also flying over Mont Blanc at 17,000 feet with oxygen looking down onto the yeah. mountain in the capable hands of a far more senior is a pilot than me, but sitting in the back. And it gives you, a, you know, it's a life-changing experience to do something like that in a glider. Yeah. And then he took me on and we flew around the Matterhorn and, and things like that. Superb. Flying at 20,000 feet over the Pyrenees with, with my chief flying instructor here in the cold, <laughs> uh, in the, but in the wave, which is a fabulous form of lift, which is associated with mountain flying. Yeah. Um, and those sort of moments are... Uh, you know, people, glider pilots use the word privilege a lot when describing what their, their sport is like. And there are many times you feel a real sense of privilege to be, to be doing something yep. so much, so uh, rewarding. Yeah, I know I got a very slight taste of it today. I know we're only up for a short while, but I guess it's like when you're sailing and we, we suddenly got this feeling that hey, we're up here and we're going up and we're not expending yeah. any energy. Yeah. It's all free. and it's, Exactly. Yeah. yeah, using the forces of nature. Yeah. It seems to... Glider pilots seem to be quite, they're slightly obsessive with the gliding, but on the whole, quite well-rounded people using all hemispheres, to both hemispheres, you know, it's, it's logical, it's rational, it's reasonable, it's to do with numbers and yeah. working things out. But there's certain aesthetics to it as well. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and there's senses of self-fulfillment and achievement that you, you don't get in a lot of sports. Yeah. You do feel close to nature here, don't you? Yeah. So actually part of the, uh, the air masses. Yes, yes, very much so. It's a beautiful setting. I remember um, soon after I joined the club, 
And I'm finding glider pilots talking about wingspans and distances and speeds and things like that. And then somebody referred to the hill and said, is the hill working today? And I thought, the hill working? You know, what's that mean? The hill is the hill working? Yeah. As if it's some sort of great amorphous beast that suddenly <laughs> decides it's going to spring into action. Yeah. It simply means, is the wind going up the side of the hill? Can we stay on it? You know? But uh, I thought it was a rather touching little yeah. expression. It's a, a beautiful area, isn't it? Yeah. On a nice sunny day like this, nothing yeah. better than watching gliders take off. That's right. I like are people perched up on the top of the, the oh, ridge there, looking yes. down. Oh, yes. We get most of our visitors who come and do trial lessons of people who've seen it. And not only just like on in the middle of the day, I, I love flying towards the end of the day when the air's a little more stable, but there's still a slight breeze going up the hill. And you can fly up and down there, S-turning and thermaling a little bit. Or, and then you'll suddenly be joined by some birds, or you'll see some birds doing the same thing, and yeah. you go and join them. And that's, you know, you can't get much closer to nature than yeah. flying with birds in thermals. Brilliant, can you? brilliant. Well, I think, that's, uh, I think we've covered everything there, Adrian. Thank you hey, very much. No, not at all. I will get back to you on those facts and figures I need to. Okay, but, uh, I'll put them on the website. Yeah. Okay. Cool. No, well, thank I've, you. I've had a really good time with you, good, Steve. Good. And a great flight. Thanks very much. Great. Thank you very much. Cheers. Okay. Adrian Hobbs of London Gliding Club. Uh, there are one or two things that Adrian has uh, asked me to clarify uh, since we did the interview. He mentioned that getting your bronze badge frees you from the bounds of the club uh, and you can fly out of range. You really should have mentioned that you must also have your cross-country endorsement, which normally you do at the same time, which involves a nav exercise and two approaches into a field, uh, which in the case of uh, London Gliding Club are conducted in their motor glider, plus two flights of one hour and two hours. Uh, as, as ever with flying podcasts, the interviews are meant only to be a guide uh, to the sport. You should, of course, discuss any questions you have with your local flying school, flying instructor, or refer to the British Gliding Association website for the latest rules on licensing, etc. As I said in the podcast, you can find links to London Gliding Club in the show notes, which can be found at www.flyingpodcast.co.uk. You can also find confirmation of some of the details of the gliding syllabus on the Flying Podcast site. Uh, I had a great afternoon down at LGC. Not only did I have a good laugh with Adrian, but he managed to give me a flavour of uh, what draws people into gliding. So, as I said before, I heartily recommend you give it a try. Well, that's it for episode 25. If you have any comments, suggestions for future episodes, or if you'd like to take part, you can email me on steve at flyingpodcast.co.uk. And don't forget, you can follow me on Twitter or Facebook by searching for Flying Podcast, or click on the Twitter and Facebook links on the website. Thanks for listening. I'll speak to you again soon.